I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. This week, we're continuing our elk month. Now, if you've spent any time elk hunting, you've probably encountered a scenario like this. Or if you're going on your first elk hunt, this is a a scenario that you're probably going to encounter. You've got a bull bugling at the distance. Maybe he's across the canyon and he's pretty much answering every bugle you throw out there. But as you move in to call this bull in, he either rounds up his cows and gets out of there or he goes quiet. Well, if there's another hunter with you, there's a solution. It's what I like to call the two-man rule, where one hunter holds back and the other hunter moves in quiet. This is a way to kind of sidestep that classic elk behavior of him avoiding confrontation to put an arrow in that bull. This week, I'm going to go over this classic tactic and how to use it to your benefit. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a hunt last season where this tactic played out on the last day for one of our hunters. So last year during our guiding season, we had some hunters in camp and it came down to the last day and one of our other guides was guiding them and they had a lot of good opportunities, some missed opportunities. It was just a really good week of elk hunting, but unfortunately these guys hadn't taken a bull yet. So I didn't have anybody, I wasn't guiding anybody at that point. And I was like, okay, I'm going to jump in with you guys because the only thing better than one guy that knows how to elk hunt is two guys that know how to elk hunt. I've told stories in the past of like when me and my brother go out, there's no better opportunity to harvest an elk because when there's two people that know what they're doing, it just increases your chances. And the tactics that you can use are a little bit different as well. You can be a lot more efficient with your calling and positioning. And I think when it comes to elk hunting, Calling's one thing, positioning's another. So if you got a guy that's calling and got a guy that's positioning, it works out really well. So one of our guides, Bryson, was going to be calling and then I was going to be doing the positioning. So we call Bryson old sweet lips because he's got a pretty sweet bugle. He's got the, he's definitely got that elk sound down. So we're, we're going to this spot and we throw out some location bugles and we get a bull to bugle down in this hole below us. So we kind of take like this old 
trail around kind of overgrown and we bugle into this pocket and we get a bugle response. And this is the last evening of this guy's hunt. So we're like, all right, it is all or nothing. We got to get this bull into range. And he bugles down below us. So we pick a route that goes like drops down and around and super heavily timbered in here. You know, I know this area fairly well. And so I know that there's like a couple big wallows in this particular spot. And I just was kind of assuming, I'm like, I think that that bull's near where that wallow was, just knowing kind of the topography. But the wind was doing that evening little bit of shuffle and we wanted to make sure to get way around. So we circle way around and start going like ridge to ridge back toward the bull. And, you know, we're stopping, we're, we're bumping into beds and other things. Thankfully, we didn't blow any elk out of there and we're bugling, but we aren't hearing any responses. So he, he bugled when we were above him, but now that we're moving in, he's not making any sounds. And we kind of figured that we were just out of earshot based off of kind of the topography. So we continue on up the canyon and now it's getting close to that crunch time. We're thinking he's gonna just really start to fire up now. So Bryson's getting this bull fired up, bull's bugling, Bryson's bugling, like it's working perfect. And so me and the hunter go up and we get into position. We keep getting like set up and then waiting and trying to figure out where this bull is because he, he kind of slowed down his cadence of bugling and then he started to pick it up. So once we really pinpointed him, it seemed like we couldn't tell. We originally thought like, we're like, I think that he actually went up. This happens a lot too. <laughs> he, I think he actually went to where we were calling from initially. It was like he almost went back up to where we were originally calling from. We kind of did a full loop around and now he was coming back down on us, but we couldn't have stayed there and called because the thermals were going down. So now we had everything right. We were below the bull. The thermals are going downhill. Bryson's behind us a ways and the bull's staying active. And we're going to, our plan is to move in, sneak in, get into position. And then if I need to do any other adjustment calling when I'm in there, I can, but our plan is to kind of not give this bull any inclination to leave, but just be distracted by the bugling in the back and keep him making noise. So we move in, set up a few times and the bull, it's just like that when that sound travels, there's no better feeling when it sounds like a bull's bugle is just ripping through you. Like, okay, he's right here. We get set up, nothing, move up, move up, move up. And we get to this spot where it kind of, uh, like the canyon kind of heads out, flats out a little bit. And I'm like, this is a good spot. So we get set up. The hunter is set up right in front of me. I'm like, all right, there's a trail. We are on this game trail. I'm like, this is the trail. If he's going to go to that bugle or anything's going to happen, it's going to be right here. And if he's like, if the sound isn't moving, then we're just going to continue. So like every time we hear him bugle, we either move in because he's not moving or we hold up and see if he's working his way down. So we get set up and I hear him up above us and he's moving and I can see a flash of him like going across the canyon. This isn't ideal because if he crosses the canyon, he's going to get below us and it's just not going to work out. He's probably at this point, it was probably like 90 yards, maybe a little further. Pretty thick though. You could just see a, barely see him in this stuff. So I give him the little, and just those two little cow calls got him to spin around and then come back down our side. Came out of the trail. That was the only calls I made. He comes down the trail and uh, stops. He pops out. I cannot, now I actually can't remember if I called to stop him. I don't know if I did. I think I just waited because I, I wanted to see what the bull did. He's just like, 
let him keep coming, let him keep coming, get closer, closer. And then he just stopped and turned to kind of look around sideways. At this point, our hunter Dan was already at full draw and sent an arrow and got a bull on the last evening of the last day of the hunt. And it was just really, I mean, a lot of the success was because we were able to split up and do a strategy where the collar could be far enough away and we moved in quiet and that bull didn't know we were there and then we could just use a call to kind of coax him in our direction how we needed at that like moment of truth really. And because of that, it was like a successful hunt, awesome late night pack out. Uh, all Everybody from camp came up and helped us pack out. It was like one of those pack outs where super ideal. You, we, I think there, I can't remember how many of us there were. It was more people than elk parts, really. It was like everybody was carrying just a little bit. Um, it was just an awesome night and a great end to a, a really fun hunt. When it comes to calling an elk, having a caller and a shooter is absolutely ideal. It's the best case scenario because you can use a couple different tactics of splitting up and drawing that bull to a location without having that elk know where that shooter's at. And there's a, a couple behaviors. So we're going to first kind of cover the behavior of elk. And so what happens is the bugle is kind of talking to that bull, but signaling to cows and other cows. And, and what might happen sometimes is as you move in with your bugle, a bull could be fired up and he could have cows. And he just goes, there's a fight or flight instinct, really. It's like, do I just push these cows off or do I directly challenge this other bull? And sometimes it's just a coin toss. It really depends on the situation. If it's a lone bull, maybe you'll come in and inspire investigate what's going on in your neck of the woods. But if it's a bull that has a lot of cows or a large group or been run around all week, doesn't really matter. He might just round up those cows and push them over to where they can't hear that other bull bugling anymore. I think some hunters think that this is something that happens because they're like, ooh, I made the wrong call. And that's absolutely not it. It is a natural response. This is things that bull elk do to other wild bull elk all the time. This is happening all day. If you were to just pull back into outer space and watch like tracked elk. They would be kind of jockeying around all day long. And the thing about being a hunter and that happening is it's hard to keep up and it's hard to really dog these elk, which can be an effective tactic too. But that takes a lot of legwork and it can be exhausting and sometimes not super efficient depending on the terrain. So they might round them up and move off. Now there's another scenario where you could be doing this and the bull just kind of goes quiet. Maybe he'll even come in, but he comes in silent to check things out. Maybe it's a younger bull. Maybe it's a bull that's not so sure. Maybe it's a lone bull and he just goes quiet, which is great if you call him in, but it's also lends itself to making a lot of mistakes because you don't really know what that elk's doing. Did he go away? Is he coming to us? What's going on? Silent elk can be a little tricky sometimes. So there's a really good tactic of, keeping that bull bugling at a distance where you aren't getting into this comfort zone of like, he's going to push off. Where it's like, he's just, he's unthreatened by the sound, but he's going to continue to bugle, either broadcast to those other elk or broadcast to his elk that I'm over here. Or he maybe even just challenge back and forth at a distance because there's like this gap. I think of it like people leaving comments on, 
YouTube, you know, right? It's like you're, there's enough distance and enough gap that it's not like you're saying, people aren't saying something to someone's face. It's more like, hey, uh, I don't like the way you draw your bow. It's like, well, that's great at a distance, right? In when they don't know who's talking and whatever. It doesn't really matter what it is. Some kind of weird comments, things like that. It happens at a distance, but it's not that threatening. Now, when somebody, let's say the same scenario happens and people are, you know, throwing insults into each other's faces, then there's a real opportunity for confrontation. Whether it's fighting or one person leaving, doesn't matter, but something has to happen because of the proximity. So the same thing with elk. It's like when there's a certain proximity, the dynamic of what happens changes. And so one strategy is to keep that bull giving away his location while a hunter moves in on the bull that's giving up that location. Hopefully he's kind of staying in that general vicinity and area and it allows the hunter to move in kind of unknown and pinpoint the location of the bull that's bugling. So the basis of the strategy here is you have a caller and you have a stalker. The caller's job is to keep that elk talking. The stalker's job is to move in quiet and not blow out the elk. So there's a few things that can go wrong during this setup. You know, it sounds great on paper, but there's a lot of things to look out for. So the first thing is the bull might move, but he might move in between bugles and essentially bust the hunter or the bull catches the hunter moving in. So the hunter has to do a few things. He needs to move in very stealth-like, but also glass and pay attention while he walks, head up as he's getting into position. I think that the easiest way that this gets blown is by the hunter kind of navigating around, hearing where the elk is, and then getting caught off guard by that elk or other elk along the way, cows and other things. Another thing is there might be a bull bugling. You move in, but there's a bunch of cows and that holds the hunter up from actually getting in all the way to the bull that's calling. Now there's a couple benefits to moving in quiet. So one of the benefits of moving in quiet is the the elk doesn't know exactly where that hunter is. So he thinks he's calling to the caller that could be a ridge away, two ridges away, 300 yards away, 400 yards away, 90 yards away, whatever it is, it doesn't matter the distance, but what you are doing is the hunter that's going in to shoot is cutting the distance considerably, like going to the elk within either shooting range or very close to shooting range while that caller is holding back. So the first scenario is a two-man roll where you're just using like location bugles to give up location. And this works really well in situations where you've got your sound travels a long distance and it seems non-threatening to that other elk. If you're like, I think it's more of a ridge to ridge scenario. Now there's a few things that happen during this. Like you could be bugling to that bull as the caller and then that bull goes quiet. It might not mean that he actually went quiet. It might mean that he just went over the ridge and can no longer hear you or you can no longer hear him kind of out of earshot. Now, another downside to this is the opportunity or potential for the bull to not be coming to the person stalking in. So if the hunter's stalking in quiet, he could be going to the person calling. And this does happen. I have had a lot of instances where I'm split off from my hunter or I'm, I draw back to try to call a bull into position. And I find myself within bow range of the, hunt, of the elk as the caller, 
right? This is something that happens quite often. So things to keep in mind as a caller, you want to keep the bull talking. Uh, a strategy that I use a lot is a, a copycat strategy where whatever the bull does, you do. So you let that bull kind of determine the pace, but you increase the frequency of the calling. So the goal is to keep that elk talking. If you need to move, move. You're either moving to kind of change the broadcast of that sound or to re-engage the bull. Sometimes at a distance, it doesn't keep that bull active. So as the caller, you have to move in and, and adjust your setup based off of keeping that bull interested. Now, one of the things that you want to kind of decipher as the caller is, is the bull moving or is he kind of staying in that same place? If that bull's bugling from the same spot, that's ideal. That's what you want to do and that's what you want to keep. If that bull starts to move, whether it's closer or further or whatever, that's one of the things that you want to pay attention to. So if the bull's staying in place, that's our goal of like the hunter, like keeping a good distance. Now, if that bull moves, maybe you hear him and the bugle's getting further and further away, then you got to continue to move and try to at least not maybe get closer to the elk, but get to where your sound can reach that elk and keep the elk bugling. As a last thing to think about as a caller, be ready. If you've both got tags and you're the caller, just because somebody's moving in on elk doesn't mean that you might not have an opportunity as well. As a hunting guide, I've had my fair share of times I could practically touch a bull while the elk is, you know, out of range or has passed the hunter or whatever, even in scenarios where you aren't that far away, you, this happens fairly often. And sometimes you'll call in a, just a completely other elk that comes in silent. So be ready, think about it. If you got a tag as well, and it's something where you're both hunting, just because you're the caller and somebody else is going after the bull, sometimes it's good to be the caller, right? You can attract another bull, you can attract other things. So in some ways, be ready. Things to think about as the stalker. If you're the person moving in on the bull, the wind. You want to first make sure that the wind is right absolutely at all times. That's going to be the thing that busts you, especially if you're in more timbered country. More elk hunts are blown by the wind and thermals changing. The second thing is movement and be ready. So you want to, as you're closing in, you kind of want to be ready to draw back at any time. You know, I know that, I like to, you know, you, you want your release out. You want to just be ready. You don't want to be fumbling for all these things when you look up and there's the bull. The next thing is to move fast. If you have a bull bugling and there's somebody calling behind you and you're trying to cut a considerable amount of distance, you need to do it quickly. If I'm across, if I'm doing a cross canyon scenario, so callers calling across the canyon, bulls on the other side, and it's a big drop down and a big drop up, I'm practically running, to be honest with you. Probably am running as fast as I can go safely. And I'm just grinding to get over there because he's not going to hold that bull there forever. Things are going to change. Wind's going to shift. If you have the right scenario, you want to be there now. And that means move fast. Sometimes the success of these setups is how fast the person can get into position. And if it's a good amount of distance, cover the distance that's kind of, not going to spook the elk as fast as possible. And then as you get closer, slow down. And then also keep in mind that the bull may pass you. Uh, I've had, I had a scenario last year where we were doing this and the bull passed me, somebody else calling behind me and the bull passed me and okay, now I got to readjust. And actually I just took over calling from that point and was able to call the bull back to me. 
I think a question that I get asked a lot when there's two callers in a caller scenario is, should the shooter ever call? And the answer is definitely yes. So there's a couple of instances where I think that calling can be beneficial. And sometimes as the shooter, you need to take over calling. So I would say cow calls are a really good way to sell the hook and kind of direct traffic, right? If you've got somebody behind you bugling, whatever the setup is, maybe they're cross canyon bugling or maybe they're just moving in tight and you're getting a bull fired up and you're just trying to cut off that distance that the bull might get held up at. If that's the case, sometimes throwing cow calls can be a good illusion maker where they go, oh, there's a bull bugling over here and there's a cow right here. I better go check that cow. Make sure that I can round her back into my herd and move on. Sometimes like in the story where the bull's moving a different direction, he's in that range, but we just need him to follow this right trail. You can throw out a cow call. Other times where you're like, I haven't heard the bull and I need to know where he is because I, I, I know he's right in here somewhere. Sometimes it's a good idea to throw out some cow calls and maybe either get him to respond to your cow call or just get him moving in your direction where you aren't just sitting there forever thinking, where is this elk? Where is this elk? I haven't heard him in a while. And then make a few wrong steps and blow him out of there. So there's definitely a time and place for the shooter to make some calls. And then obviously, if you got a bull coming in or moving through and you need to stop him, stopping him with a cow call works great as well. And then sometimes I will break into a bugle if the situation warrants it. You kind of have to play it by ear. If you're a long ways away from your caller now, you don't hear your caller, but you hear the bull bugling. Sometimes now it's just time to take over and try to call this bull in by yourself, but it gave you enough lead time to get in, maybe surprise that bull when there's bugling back behind or get him restarted bugling and give your caller enough time to catch up and reposition. I do this two-man rule. I probably should have started with this, but in a couple of different ways. So there's that cross canyon, just holding a bull and one guy going in and stalking in quiet. Then the other kind of factor of the two-man rule is both moving in simultaneously, working that elk, where one is holding a bull, the other is bringing a bull in, but the hunter being where that bull might hang up. And so to gauge that scenario kind of depends on the topography, how fired up these elk are. If you're getting elk that kind of keep coming in, but keep holding up, the best thing is to get the caller back further and the hunter closer to the elk. And the more you do that, the more you're trying to draw that bull into line with the hunter. If the caller knows where the hunter is too, he can adjust his body and position to continually pull the elk toward where the hunter is going to be. And sometimes I'll use cow calls to let my caller know where we are. And then, so the caller knows like, okay, here's where they are. That's where the bugle is. Now I'm going to reposition my body or maybe maybe the caller will need to go uphill, downhill, whatever. If it seems like that elk is interested in, in moving in that direction, maybe he's not coming to the call, but he's definitely like edging in that direction to let that elk know, the caller know that he doesn't want him anywhere near his cows or elk. And so as the elk moves position and the hunter moves position, the caller can move position to try to create a good line where that elk is going to intersect the person that's stalking in and moving in. I definitely think that this tactic of calling can be one of the most successful and it, it requires two people. That's the kind of the unfortunate part. It re requires a caller and a shooter. And I think that things to keep in mind is you're hunting as a group. So 
one of the best ways to hunt as a group is have some form of communication. Using calls as a signal is a great way to do that. Sometimes I'll have like a, it's over bugle, let's meet back up. And I just, I, we, we plan these kind of signals ahead of time because, you know, you could be, as the caller, you're doing your thing. You don't know what's going on on that end. He could have blown him out and you're like still here ripping bugles and waiting. And then you're you're going, okay, like you just don't know. So I have a, a call that I use of just like, here's what it sounds like. <laughs> Pretty much like a song playing. You like should know that it's over. I also like, before I leave, we'll make a plan. Say, okay, we're gonna do this. I'm going to move in. You know, if that bull starts to move away, start moving with me. We create a plan before we go because it's kind of hard to understand what we should all be doing once we split up. And then I will also say like, hey, if I bugle, right, that means you do this or you come to me. Like you can, you can create kind of a plan with the calls, whatever it is. And then I think that the, the thing to think about is, work as a team. And this definitely gets better with practice. If you've got a hunting buddy and you guys are alternating and trading off this type of scenario, the more you do it, the more successful you're going to be with it. The easier it's going to be to be able to read the elk, read the other hunter and read the situation as the caller and vice versa. I also think it's really good to trade off and be the caller and be the stalker and be the caller and be the stalker because you learn both sides of it. And when you and your hunting partner figure this kind of tactic out and get a good teamwork and a good rhythm going, it's practically unstoppable during the rut if the elk are willing to play ball and willing to call. I hope you guys are enjoying Elk Month and enjoying this podcast. You know, there's nothing better than being in the Elk Mountains with another hunter where you can kind of trade off calling and hunting I think it's just definitely hands down a very successful way to hunt. I think for me, unfortunately, I'm always like the caller and the shooter. I might be, I'm alone on a lot of elk hunts or I might have somebody filming or whatever, but I'm the one doing all the activity. And when I have the opportunity to hunt with someone else that is calling or I'm calling and somebody else is hunting, it's like, it just seems like it changes the game. So I think that in a lot of scenarios, hunting alone is a very good option. But I think when it comes to calling elk, calling and hunting with another person is probably one of the more successful tactics out there because you can do things that you can't do by yourself. You can you can trick those elk into coming into position without them knowing where the hunter is or maybe committing in a different way. Now, there are those times where it doesn't work out, right? Because the elk comes in wrong and, and things aren't lined up right. It takes, it takes some practice and just some going through the motions, getting it figured out. So I think that it's just one of those things that if you have the opportunity to do it, absolutely a great tactic to try. One thing I want to remind you guys about, it is coming down to the wire for our elk month giveaway. We've partnered with Stone Glacier and we have an incredible prize pack. It's got a Sky 5900 backpack. It's got the Skyscraper two-person tent, Chilkoot 15-degree sleeping bag, Skyline Bino harness, and then their gaiters. If you guys want to check any of that gear out, there's a link on my website. goes right to my Stone Glacier gear page. It's got all my favorites on there. A lot of these, well, all those prizes are on there. There's some other stuff that I really like. So if you guys are ever curious about What's Remy like? What are kind of the packs for different scenarios? You can find on their website or on my website. I've got a page just with like 
my highlighted gear. I just talked to them. was like, hey, highlight some of this stuff, some of my favorite stuff. So you guys can always find that. As always, you can use code LIVEWILD for free shipping. And then in that giveaway, we're also giving away Live Wild hat. I've got these elk hats, the Live Wild Hunt Hard hat. They are absolutely, I, I've sold them as lucky hats. And I'll tell you what, I got an email. I'll paraphrase it. But the guy said, hey, I got an email, your hat shipped. The very next email I got was Nevada Division of Wildlife alerting me that I got a returned tag on the alternates list in the absolutely best archery unit in the state. So, hey, I'm not saying they are, but I'm not saying they aren't. There's definitely some stories out there of some already lucky hats in action. Then we've got a uh, Live Wild Yeti Yonder bottle, some unreleased Live Wild Spice Pack, Live Wild Montana Knife Company Magna Cut Speed Goat, and a Wilderness Athlete Live Wild Package. That's all in. One lucky winner is going to get that. In order to enter, all you have to do, go to my website, remywarn.com, sign up for our email mailing list. And then if you're already signed up for that email list, you should have seen an email that came through that said, you're already entered, don't even worry about it. But we're giving people another option to sign up. We're going to do an, a text message messaging list. And it, the winner will be drawn between those, those two lists will be combined. And so there'll be a winner for that. So if you're already in the email list, you can sign up for the text message list and that'll give you essentially another option or another way to win. And I just use those for pretty much being able to, you know, contact you guys about cool stuff. It's, I try to keep it good and I try to do, I know there's like a lot of things. I try to give a lot of stuff away on those emails. So they're actually pretty fun for the people that do do it. I know a lot of people enjoy it. There's been some awesome prizes given away over the years. So thank you guys for all the support. One of the things I wanted to mention, talking about support. Okay, I was, I was scrolling through some of the reviews and comments on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for these. I, I mentioned it, like if you have the opportunity, wherever you listen, drop a rating, leave a comment. I really appreciate that. It, it means a lot to me. There's some great ones on here. This one says, I'm gonna read a couple. It says, Live Wild, the best hunting podcast can take you from being a fingers crossed road hunter to a cool as a cucumber mountain man. <laughs> That's great. This one says, excellent content and presentation, nice delivery of experience-based knowledge sharing, very practical learning tips. Got another one here that says, unbelievable knowledge. Hey, Remy, fantastic podcast. Just bought my first bow and practicing for an OTC elk tag here in Colorado. Listening to your knowledge base is priceless for someone just starting out. Thanks again and good luck this season. Thank you all. And there's a lot of comments here or messages um, about just ratings. Thank you guys so much for for leaving those ratings on the podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. And I love, like I scroll through pretty often and, and read those. Some of them make me laugh. <laughs> it's like, there's some pretty good ones on there. So thank you guys for all that. And I really do appreciate the support. As always, feel free to reach out via social media. And I'm going to say until next week, Let's call them in for our friends and let our friends call them in for us. That's not even an ending. Dang it. Uh, I don't know. I'm just going to end with, where's my soundboard? I think I recorded a bunch of you. Let's just end with this. That's just how I should end every Elk Month podcast. I'm going to do it again. That was beautiful. All right. I'll catch you guys later.